0: In the name of the one holy and living God. Amen. Be seated. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I dare say this is in the bones of every single person sitting here. It's in Matthew, which we just read, or I just read. It's in Mark. It's in Luke. And this is a response that Jesus is giving to the test or the challenge of the religious leadership and the scholars of Torah law. Now, when I turned my heart back to Christianity in my 30s, I had this very strong idea that this response of Jesus, to love your neighbor as yourself, that this was radical and new, that he was putting up something brand new for the Pharisees, for the religious leaders of the temple, and that it was a big aha for all of them. Was I ever wrong? Because no, these commandments are also and were also in the very marrow of the bones of his challengers. As much as these commandments are at the heart of Christianity, they're also at the heart of Judaism, the heart of the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, our Bible. And the core of it comes from Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And this set of religious leaders would have known this intimately because it's at the heart and part of the daily prayer they would have been praying twice a day, in the morning and the evening, the Shema. And the second commandment is in Leviticus, which was our first reading reading this morning. The Lord God is speaking to Moses on how to be holy. And the passage ends with, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when Jesus declares this, he isn't declaring something brand new. He's going to the heart of the Jewish faith and the heart of the total common ground of his theology, their theology. The entire passage from Deuteronomy after those, the verse I just read continues on and says, keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart recite them to your children, talk about them when you are home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. If you've walked into Jewish homes or have a Jewish background yourself, you've probably seen mezuzahs on the doorpost, the entry to the home, and sometimes at the entry to rooms. And inside those mezuzahs is this passage from Deuteronomy common ground. That's where Jesus goes when there's this great challenge. He's laying out, I am with you. My heartbeat is your heartbeat. There's a famous story of Hillel, the great Jewish uh, religious leader, sage and scholar, who lived about a hundred years before Jesus died right before Jesus was born. And the story goes that he was challenged by a Gentile. And this person said, "Repeat the entire Torah on one foot, and if you do, I'll give my whole heart to worship God." What was Hillel's response? Well, he lifted the foot and said, Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is all the Torah. The rest is commentary. Go study. Jesus at this moment in the temple is weather, has been weathering challenge after challenge. Matthew's gospel, he's already walked into the temple, and if you've been here in recent weeks, we've heard some really challenging passages where the religious leaders are pushing him, and he's somewhat stumping them. But it all concludes right here with Jesus saying, we're the same. This is God. This is love. There is common ground. This greatest commandment wasn't revelatory. It was resounding agreement. I think that here, there's an enormous lesson for us in how we engage with difference. How do we encounter challenges to us? I remember in the early years of the Trump presidency, as both sides of the political divide, which is now more like a chasm, was getting entrenched. I remember hearing stories on NPR about a whole program where people from either side, or one from one side, one from the other, were being paired up and invited to have a conversation. And the conversation wasn't, well, I believe this and I am this politically conversation was around, where were you born? What's your family like? What's the arc of your life been like? And in interviews with the people on each side afterwards, they talked about the surprise of seeing each other, essentially seeing each other's humanity. Common ground. Instead of test, being responded to with another test, pushback to pushback, there's the test and the response of, hey, I'm with you in love, finding that common ground, that common spiritual ground, emotional ground, the ground of the mutual heartbeats. So I want to invite us all this morning to take a different step with this passage than we usually do. We usually go to the place of how do we do this loving of our neighbor? How do we love neighbors that are irksome? Those are really worthwhile questions. Challenging question, not simple to do. And Luke's gospel actually goes there, but that's not what we heard this morning. Luke's gospel has this great commandment Great commandments told, and immediately it's followed with the story of the Good Samaritan. So, when we get to Luke, we can talk about how do we love our neighbors. But this morning, I wonder if we maybe be bold enough to put ourselves in the position of the religious leaders in the temple. These are religious leaders who have deep faith and believe that they're living into that faith. And that faith is held up within the context of Roman occupation. And they're playing out in this dance between how do we participate in the life of faith with the Roman occupation. And they're seen by many as as colluders, as collaborators. How do you live your faith and live with the brokenness of society? So I think if we pop ourselves for a moment and take that brave step into the seat of these religious scholars and leaders, we can identify with this because we are in a society that is unjust. We are in a society that is oppressive, where not all people are actually treated as if we were created equal. So are we open to hearing or absorbing voices of Jesus perhaps in our midst to where we might be colluding, where we might be bearing the influence of oppressive forces, the influence of darkness, the influence of of things that are not of God. So my own context is a very young child. When I was a toddler, we moved to South Africa. My father's an Episcopal priest, and my parents were both very active in the civil rights movement in the states, and they were doing their best as idealistic 20-something-year-olds to go change the world. So my early elementary school years were in South Africa as a white person or down there as a European. And my parents had to deal with the fact that this was the culture my brother and I were immersed in. And my mother tells a story of me coming home with a picture from first or second grade, I'm learning to read, and there this picture that has three sections, three blocks. and the first block, has a picture that we were to color in of a European. So we had the light flesh-colored crayon, and we colored that in. And at the bottom it said, this is a European, he is a doctor. The next block was a block with another man, and it said, with a crayon that was a bit darker, this is an Indian. He is a grocer. We've got Dr. Grocer. The last block was for the Bantu, the black population, and we had a very dark crayon for that, his skin, says this is a Bantu, he is a coal miner. I brought this home and my mother tells of that being a moment of the shock of how deeply ingrained the culture might be in her children. So the way she countered it at first was to bring out pictures of when I was a toddler in the States and played with a neighbor who was black and whose nickname was Tiger. So I even to this day have the image of these pictures of little me playing with little Tiger in the backyard, sitting on our little blankets. My parents invited the gardener who worked at our house to bring some of the youngsters in his life. And so my brother and I would be playing with Ambrose and Dolphy, which is incredibly unusual for Europeans to be playing with someone who is Zulu. There is this dissonance for me of this love that we're supposed to have for everyone that my parents were teaching me, and then this culture where I was in the European school and Ambrose and Dolphy did not have access to. Where there were beautiful buses that went by that I could get onto, And the ones that we used to call, my brother and I, the stinky buses, because they were dirty and old. I admire my parents for doing their best to try and reach in with love to undo the whole culture around me. But I think that's a picture of what the challenge is for us of how do we as people of faith see where culture is breeding not good stuff in our hearts. His love's, God's love is bigger and more powerful than the forces of evil in the world, the forces of injustice, the forces of discrimination and oppression, forces of exclusion. Loving our neighbor is about what are we willing to do for others? And here, in a sense, it's what is God willing to do for us? God is willing to send God's son. God's willing to enter the world and reveal the power of love to conquer death to bring salvation and new life and transformation and have that transformation happen in our hearts. So question for us all this morning could be, where are the voices of God reaching into your limitations, into my limitations, reaching into ways we hurt others, way we hurt ourselves? Ways we may be preaching, participating with the modern-day incarnation of Roman o- occupation. The first reading in Leviticus, before it winds up to the love your neighbor, is a list of a whole lot of do-nots. Don't render unjust judgment, don't slander, don't hate in your heart. And we can think of those things as proactive things to do. what if we flip it and say, where are you maybe? rendering unjust judgment. Where am I, where are we holding maybe some hatred, some resistance? Where is there something calcified in us or some things calcified in us that are in need of God's love, that are in need of new life, of liberation and transformation? This is a powerful question and is a way to think about this passage a bit differently than we usually do. There's the call to go out with love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with our whole mind, body, heart, our whole being. And as we love God with our whole body, mind, and heart, we are inviting that love into our hearts to see what are the challenges that are keeping us from loving our neighbor. They're keeping us resistant, keeping us fearful. This is a powerful challenge, and one that I think we can do together. It's part of Christian community that we can gather together, immerse ourselves, come to Christ's table, feed on Jesus. And then go out in the world and listen for those voices. Be attentive to those moments where we may be the neighbor that is being loved. Amen.